This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series, Desperate, Vital Doctrine for All of Life from the Book of Ephesians. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. This is our ninth week in our time uh, through this letter, this this book of the Bible, uh, Ephesians. Uh, We've entitled this time, uh, Desperately Dependent, as we're exploring different vital doctrines uh, for life from this book. This book was written by a man named Paul, who was previously named Saul when he was a persecutor of the church, a hater of God, a hater of Christ, a despiser of the church. He sought to destroy the church. That was his job. Uh, he, got, he got paid money. Part of his income came from arresting Christians. But then Jesus saved him, um, and he was radically changed, which is the truth of, of anyone who's in Christ. It's a radical transformation, just like that of, of Saul. Uh, it's a radical transformation. Uh, and he became Paul, and then end up, he ended up shepherding the church, pastoring the church. He became a church planter. He became a, a pastor to pastors. And even this is proof of him shepherding the church as he wrote this to uh, churches uh, around Ephesus, Hierapolis, uh, Laodicea. This letter uh, got passed around and distributed to different churches where he was encouraging them uh, really in, with two main goals. The first three chapters of Ephesians was given to inform the church and us, the ancient church and us today, of how wonderful and marvelous our salvation is. What an act of God's grace it is that we are Christians But then in chapters four, five, and six, he's leaning into how then we should live now that we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ and his work for us. So we've broken it up into those two portions. Paul broke it up. The Holy Spirit wrote through Paul. The Holy Spirit broke it up in those two portions uh, where you have more of this uh, orthodoxy in in chapters one through three. Orthodoxy, what we believe. Chapters four, five, six, orthopraxy, how we're to now live in light of that doctrine and that truth. Don't disconnect those two. It's a danger in the church to have this knowledge, to have this desire to know more, and yet not living out what we know. It's an epidemic in the church. We all struggle with this, and the Lord will help us. And he does so even through Paul guiding us through chapters four, five, and six, where we find ourselves today. So without anything else, let's jump here. Uh, uh, if you're new to us, we, we go verse by verse and um, word by word sometimes, unpacking Scripture and, um, and having it uh, preached to our hearts. So uh, I pray that you're encouraged by our time together in the Word. So uh, chapter 5, verse 1, um, you can follow along. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Therefore... Being a wise student of, of Scripture, um, it's, it's wise and good and healthy to practice studying why the therefore is there, to find out what it's there for. And so to kind of help you here, Paul has just guided these Christians in, in chapter 4 through uh, what their lives are to now look like now that they have new life in Christ he says in chapter 4 to put off these old practices and this, this old man, this sinful nature, speaking of all that we inherit through Adam, through the fall, and then put on the new Adam, put on the new humanity, put on the things of Christ. 
part of this new humanity that we're to put on and walk in is that we become honest, that we become hardworking, thankful, loving people, is what Paul says in, in chapter four. People who use their words more and more to uplift and to give grace to others. People who don't allow bitterness to fester, rather they speak the truth in love and they forgive as God in Christ has forgiven them. Ephesians 4.24, he says they are to put on the new self that has been, think about these words, put on the new self that has been created in the likeness of God. It's, it's been created like God. Speaking of the restored image, we're created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. But here it's like he's saying put on this new self that's been created, recreated after the likeness of God, and that will result in you pursuing true righteousness and holiness because those things are like God. Now, building off of this, Paul says, now, therefore, because you've been created in the likeness of God in this new man, imitate God, mimic God. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, Beloved, cherished, prized children. You see, by grace, the Christians have been adopted into the family of God. Christians are no longer strangers. They're no longer aliens and separated. Rather, they are children of God. They're heirs with Christ Jesus. You might remember earlier in chapter 2, verse 19, he said, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 8, you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we get to cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. It's a heart language towards the Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. The Spirit just lets us, our hearts know that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. You see, being changed by the regeneration of our hearts, we have been made entirely new. We are completely different in a number of different ways. So Ephesians 4.24 again puts it this way, the Christian has been created or recreated or restored after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, part of being a, um, a child of a good father is the innate desire to be like the father. Part of being a, a child is looking like the parent acting and behaving and seeing certain traits of the father made manifest in the child. Paul says, because you have been made children of God, your good heavenly father, you're now to walk, you're now to live in, in the same manner and in the same way that he would. Look like him, respond like him, love like him, forgive like him. Now, do we do these things so that he will love us? Are, are we to imitate him so that God will begin to like us? No, never, never hear that. And I want you to notice here, because you have been made children, because you've been adopted, imitate your new father. He doesn't say imitate God so that you'll become beloved children. It's an important distinction. It's the difference between heaven and hell, between Christian and moralism and religion. 
entirely different. Be imitators of God because you're his beloved children. You're not just in the family. You're not just begrudgingly, all right, yeah, come on in. You're beloved. Imitate God because you're beloved children. Once again, something that we seek to present to our church family here each week is we have to address motive. Motive for the Christian is the difference between worship and idolatry. Motive for the Christian is the difference between moralism and Christianity, just seeking to be good and do good things and actually being a Christian. Motive for the Christian is the difference between gospel and mere religion. So Paul is calling the early church to imitate God or mimic God, to copy him, to mirror the truth and the way of life modeled by Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh. So Jesus puts the same idea this way in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, as we're going to see, this is the goal of every Christian. Are you a Christian? Then this is your goal. So this begs the question, well, how do we become like someone? How do we try to, try to imitate someone? I remember as a teenager... <laughs> this is strange, but I really wanted to be like Charles Barkley. I, I, <laughs> I know that he like spit on a little kid and he kicked balls up in the rafters. It's like, uh, but still there was something about Charles Barkley. I, I wanted to play basketball the way that he played basketball. I wanted his shoes. I remember uh, probably back in like 1990, I saved up money for months and I spent $135. That was a lot of money back then. It's a lot of money today for a pair of shoes, for crying out loud. But, but I saved up all this money to buy his shoes and I outgrew them in three months. It was so disappointing. <laughs> but I wanted his shoes. I, I wanted to wear his number. I watched how he did things. I admired him and patterned a lot of my life off of him, off of what I saw in him. Well, well how do we do this with God? Family, we see God and we hear from him primarily through his word. And I want you to hear me really clear. You can't mimic what you don't know. You can't mimic what you don't see. He doesn't say imitate other Christians. There's a difference between imitating each other and imitating God. I mean, hopefully they're the same, but that's not what he tells us to do. Imitate God. So first things first here. Has the Spirit made you a Christian or have you simply made yourself religious? There is perhaps no greater question for you to consider living in the religious South in the Bible Belt of America. Has the Spirit of God made you a Christian or have you just made yourself religious? If you are a Christian, are you spending time in the Word? 
podcasting and, and listening to other preachers and, and listening uh, or, or, or uh, reading other books and Christian material, it's great, but it's insufficient. Gathering on Sundays and scattering in access communities throughout the week is still insufficient. There's something lacking. You must be in the word daily. There's a reason why it's referred to by Christ, by God, through the scriptures as our daily bread. Are you spending time in the word? Are you spending time in truth? You will become malnourished. Like we looked at last week with the dragon suit, you're going to begin drifting back to putting on this dragon suit that you were to take off and to put away to never touch again. You're going to drift towards becoming like each other and mimicking each other, which is some sort of a competitive moralism. We're just trying to be better than the next guy instead of truly imitating your father. He didn't say imitate one another because you're brothers and sisters. He says, imitate God, your father, because you're beloved children. Going back to chapter 4, verse 17, don't walk like those who don't have the spirit of God living in them. Rather, act and live a holy life and walk in love. Imitate God. Be holy. Jesus says, be perfect. Paul continues in chapter 5, verse 2, and live and behave and walk in love. I mean, Christ gave us an example, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us personally, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Again, the motive here is presented by Paul. As Christ has already loved us, he's already given himself up for us as a sacrifice to atone for our sins, providing the ransom for us to be redeemed. He doesn't say, go do these things. Don't walk in love so that Christ's atonement will be good for you. He says, because his atonement's already sufficient, now you, as a result of being saved by grace, because of God's great love for us, even when we were dead in our sins and hating God, he has loved us, he has changed us, and made us new. Because of this, you are now to walk in love. You are now to pursue holiness and righteousness. You're to walk in love and be known for your love for others. You're not to walk this way, verse 3. This is not who you are. Sexual immorality. The Greek word is porneia. It's where we get our word pornography, porn, pornographic. This is speaking of just illicit sex and fornication. This sort of behavior, this sexual immorality and, and all filthiness and uncleanness and all impurity and, and greediness, that nails everybody in this room. Covetousness, this desire for more and more. These things must not even be named among you as is proper, as is fitting among saints. You, Christians, saints, God's people, his holy ones. These things aren't to be associated with Christians. Those who have been regenerated and made new. Those who are to be like their father in heaven, perfect and holy. These things shouldn't be mentioned about Christians. Now, it might be who they used to be. It might be how they used to walk and behave, but not anymore. They are now different. Christians have been changed. Friends, do you have stories like this? 
Do you have stories like this where, yeah, I was once this way, but God, (laughs) and now I'm no longer that, I'm this. Christians have these stories. Christians have many stories like this. You can't help it. The Spirit's doing its thing in you. Earlier this week at our monthly staff luncheon, um, it was perhaps my terrible idea, certainly an odd idea, uh, to go around the table and, and I just asked, I said, let's go around the table and tell of our worst moment. That's encouraging talk, right? It's like, let's build one another up. <laughs> let's, t- let's tell of our worst moment in life that you can think of. Not asking for a lot. And uh, so I, I mentioned mine, and I'll confess here. Um, our daughter Bethany is um, almost 13. Well, when, when the night that she was born, <laughs> y'all are going to hate me. I feel nervous telling y'all this. This isn't who I am anymore, which is the point. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, we were going to go to the hospital. Uh, where we were going to have Bethany. And uh, we got in two different cars. Jill drove herself to the hospital to have Bethany, and I drove to the softball field to play a softball game. At the ball game, I get a phone call from Jill. I hope you don't leave during this story. Give me a little bit of grace. Um, and she's like, Jeremy, she's crying. She's like, Jeremy, I beg you, please, please come to the hospital. I'm here all by myself. And I said, honey, if I walk off the field, we forfeit. And she's like, please. And I said, I I can't right now. Like, and just like, we have to get the lead that way when it's over, it's been enough innings to complete the game. Well, then she calls again, pleading once more, um, out of desperation, almost not saying anything, um, because it's hard to defend yourself in such a terrible moment. Um, anyway, I ended up begrudgingly walking off the field, and um, I got to the hospital and uh, was frustrated that the baby Bethany hadn't gotten there yet. You know, because like I didn't miss out on anything. You know, and Jill's like, right, I was just here in the ER asking for a rock, uh, uh, wheelchair by myself, getting admitted by myself, getting hooked up to all these things by myself. Anyway. I remember telling the staff of this terrible story, and that really happened. Um, And Anna Alpazar was the first one to say, she says, I I don't like that, Jeremy. I'm mad at you. I'm mad at that guy. And you might be feeling the same thing. It's like, man, that is a jerk, especially if you've had a a child. You're just like, I cannot imagine. Um, It was hard to believe that it kind of, we're just talking like, it's hard to believe now in how you encourage young men and and dads, like that that was even you at one point. And, and that's my point. You see, while I still have worse moments today that will utterly embarrass me in the coming years, I'm changing. I'm being more and more like God. I'm, I'm being changed more and more into his image. And this doesn't make me special alone. This is the truth of absolutely every Christian. So long as they're Christians and not just religious. Christians, as special people in the eyes of God, we are to have these stories. 
We are not to have current stories of illicit sex, of greed and selfishness, of dirty and filthy conversations or activities. It's not who we are anymore. It's not who our Savior is like, and it's, it's not what our Father is like. Well, it's difficult, right? It's difficult, sure. But we have our brother Jesus who has walked this way before, and he's pulling for us. He's praying for us. He's interceding for us. We have the Spirit of God within us, growing the strength of our inner new man. He's enabling us. He's empowering us. We have our good Father in heaven giving us what we need when we need it, and he tells us that he's working out all things for the ultimate good, and he'll never put more on you than he can handle. Let that encourage you as you walk this way. Paul continues in verse four, let there be no filthiness, obscene things. Don't let there be any foolish talk. Uh, This is uh, a phrase that was likened um, frequently to a drunken man's speech. This stupid, stupid, pointless talking. Uh, This crude joking, this perverted and vulgar humor said to bring out a laugh. These things are out of place. They don't fit anymore. They don't belong. Instead, in their place, let there be thanksgiving, humble, grateful, thankful hearts. Now, as the previous passage that we looked at last week, as we saw, we're to be very careful with our words and how we address one another, how we speak of things. This sort of language that he gives us here, it's not proper, it's not fitting, it's not right for the Christian. This may be normal, for our culture. It might be culturally acceptable, but not for the Christian. Well, Jeremy, the more I hear about this, the more boring this sounds. <laughs> like if I show up to work tomorrow like this, I, I, I just, I, I won't be cool. I'll be weird. Christian, don't believe that lie. Don't believe that lie. You don't exist to be cool. You exist in part to be holy as your father in heaven is holy. So Christian, imitate God. Perhaps the reason why so many unbelievers don't follow Jesus is because the Christians in their lives imitate them and rather than imitating God. Think about that. You must know that your friends have other cool friends in their lives. They have very few saints. If you're a Christian, you're not in their life to merely be cool. You're there to be holy. You are the one in their friend party. You're the one in their relationships who has to speak up and say, well, this is what scripture says. You're the one in their life who says, can I pray about this with you? You are the one who is to provide a different example when it comes to sharing pornographic pictures and jokes. Christian, you're the one who's to be a different example when others are being made fun of. When when others are getting hammered on the weekends, you're to provide a different example. You're to provide a different example with your words, with your language, with how you honor and respect your spouse, regardless of how others talk about theirs. You're to provide a different example when it comes to drug use. You are to provide a different example amongst your friends when your coworkers and you when you when you see an attractive person walk by you are to provide a different example 
When someone asks you to lie to your boss, you're the one who can't sit well with that. You're the one who has to push back and refuse. This is part of being holy. Now, this is not legalism when the motive is right. If you just go after these things and just trying to be this jerk, that's one thing in and of itself. But if your desire is to be holy, when your desire is to be like God, when you're, when you're just responding in obedience to what God has called you to with humility and thankfulness, then it's, it's not just to earn approval. You're not trying to earn approval by living this way. You're reflecting what you've already experienced in the eyes of God the Father when he has declared you righteous, when he's declared you blameless and holy before him because of Christ. You're not doing these things to earn that. It's been done. You're reflecting what you've already become in the eyes of God. It's not being different and and trying to serve as a different example in order to feel more righteous than your coworkers and friends. You're putting on the new man. You're embracing the new nature. You're pursuing holiness because God, your father, is holy. So in some way, you're pursuing holiness because you can't help it. I mean, there's, there's something in you that cares for this now in a different new way. So in some ways, you can't help it. You begin to live this way because you, you've been called to live this way. Continuing in verse 5, you, you can be sure of this. In, in the Greek, there's, there's like, you can know that you know. You can be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, everyone who is unclean in this way, impure, everyone who is greedy, and this word uh, covetous has, has a lot to do with money. Most often this word is used with money. Greedy, more and more. That's an idolater. Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. No inheritance in the kingdom of God. Jesus says in in John 14, in my father's house are many rooms, speaking of his kingdom. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare and build a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. But Paul says, not so for those who are unregenerate, those who are Gentile of heart, those who aren't Christians, those who might talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. They have no fruit in line with repentance. Christians have property. They have a place to stay. Christians have rewards. They have an inheritance in paradise. Paul says, these unbelievers do not. And this is a fact For those who have this in their practice and don't just do these things, rather they become these things. This is their lifestyle. This is is the type of person they are. They're unregenerated and they haven't been born again. This is their life, their pleasure, their practice, the way that they walk. Paul says they're not a Christian. Christians can't live and walk this way. As is with anyone who isn't born again, This person has no share in the kingdom of heaven. And they must taste death twice. But for those who used to be sexually immoral, for those who used to be impure, those who have repented and taken that off and put on 
Christ and have trusted in Christ. For those, Jesus has tasted death for them already. Therefore, they don't have to experience the death in this way. They, as Christians, can look at death as merely the vehicle that takes them from this life onto greater life, life with God in paradise, in God's kingdom, in the kingdom of Christ in heaven. I'm reminded of our, of our reading this past week in our, in our Bible plan, reading through the scriptures in Luke 23, verse 42, the criminal on the cross, perhaps that was the first and only thing he did right his whole life, truly righteous. Hanging on a criminal's cross, condemned for terrible crimes, he simply looks at Jesus and says, remember me. And Jesus says, done. Today, you will be with me in paradise. He was sexually immoral. He was impure. He was a criminal. He was a bad guy. But he trusted in Jesus. <laughs> so he has an inheritance in Christ. He has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Do you? Paul says, essentially, that he expects this pushback, that this can't be true. So in verse 6, he says, let no one deceive you. Don't let anyone mislead you to an untruth. Don't let anyone lead you with empty words. Uh, empty meaning that's vain, uh, gives no benefit. Uh, no, there's no advantage to these, these words. Let no one mislead you with these empty words. For because of these things, these, these sins... The wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. A phrase used back in Ephesians chapter 2. Here again, we're reminded of the gospel. For those who would simply trust in Jesus like a child and hope in him as their savior, Jesus bears this wrath for him in their place so they no longer have to fear the wrath of God that's coming upon sin. So there's the two groups of people now that Jesus has come, those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ. Those who are in Christ, Jesus lived perfectly for you and he died in your place. He absorbed the wrath of God, do your sin. He absorbed that for you. He took it upon himself. But then there's those who are outside of Christ who do not believe Jesus. Friends, you have to live a perfect life. No one in here can do this. And since you can't live a perfect life, you must suffer the wrath of God on your own shoulders. These two groups of people, they walk in two different directions. They take two separate paths. They have two separate perspectives on life and reality. They have two different sets of goals. And this is the reason Paul says in verse 7, therefore do not become partners with them. For formerly, at one time, you were darkness. You weren't enlightened. You, you were in the dark. But now you are light in the Lord. Lord, master, ruler. Walk as children of light. Now, this children of light, this light is the realm that's dominated by righteousness and goodness and of the knowledge of God. Walk as children of light. Live. This is your lifestyle. Walk this way. Live this way. Behave this way. Walk as children of light. For the fruit, in verse 9, for the fruit, the gain, the result of, of light is found in all that is good and, and, and uh, generous and right and true. And on top of this, try to discern 
uh, test and examine what is acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. This is part of our calling, is, is earnestly seeking what honors him and what pleases him. Take no part, so, so don't become partners, take no part in the unfruitful works, the unproductive, lacking benefit, the unfruitful works of darkness. Now that darkness is, is speaking, of, it's um, antithetical to that of the light, the realm of light. This, this realm is dominated by evil and sinfulness and an ignorance of God and his ways. Don't become partners with him. Take no part in these unfruitful works with him. Instead, expose them. Take the light to them. Show them. Reveal them the truth. Notice he doesn't say change them. Christian, it's not your job to change people. It's your job to present Jesus to people. It's your job to carry the light carefully, showing that there's hope worth holding on to in Christ. The Spirit, that's his job to change people. You just take the light and trust him to do his activity of saving. Verse 12, it's shameful and disgraceful even to speak of the things that they do in private, in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, made clear, it's made known. For if anything that becomes visible is light, therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That appears to be an ancient uh, baptismal hymn of the early church taken from Isaiah 26 and Isaiah 60. And it, it sums up really the whole call of this chapter thus far to leave behind the realm of darkness and death and step into this new humanity that's made possible only through Jesus Christ. And Paul is, he's emphatic about this partnership between light and darkness or, or rather the needed lack of partnership between the two. Uh, I'm reminded of um, Amos 3.3, can two walk together unless they agree? Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 6, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership, there's that word, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Look at these categories. What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord, what unity has Christ with Belial? Speaking of Satan, the devil. What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God, Christian, you're the temple of God, what, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of God. And since we have these promises, beloved, cherished ones, God's, God's property, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. See, Christian, you were darkness. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in that phrase that, that we just looked at, sons of disobedience. 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and we were by nature rebels. We were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But that's who you were. It's not who you are anymore, ever. Therefore, walk as if you are no longer dead and in the dark. Walk as those who have light and life. Christian, walk in honesty, integrity, seeking out things that are good, right, and true, and dwelling on those sorts of things, daydreaming on those sorts of things, sketching and drawing and looking for those sorts of beautiful things that are good, true, and right. Christian, Pray and labor and test to discern and know what it is that God desires from you, things that please him and honor him. Christian, walk in community with those who are of the same goal, walking the same direction with the same calling and perspective. And be careful. Be very careful partnering up with those who are not born again. Love them. Serve them. Tell them of Jesus. Live the gospel before them. Be holy and different so that they have actually a reason to ask you for the hope that's in you. So that they can ask, what's different with you? Be light before them. But whatever you do, do not hide the light that you have. Don't drift there. Be careful. You're not the same. You're not to have all things in common. You can't. If you're a Christian, you can't. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. You are a city that's set on a hill and it cannot be hidden. Nor do people hide a light, uh, nor, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all those in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. They may see your holiness and your righteousness and not praise you and think that you're awesome or a jerk. But you're living in such a way that they give glory to your father who is holy and who is in heaven. Therefore, verse 15, be careful. Look carefully, deliberately, taking deliberate, accurate steps Watchful, look carefully then at how you walk. Not as unwise, not as those lacking discernment, not as the foolish, but as wise. Making the best use of time. You're you're efficient. You're capitalizing on the time that you have because the days are evil. My goodness, we need this today. This is timely for us. In our day and age and culture, we so often carelessly drift throughout our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, carelessly, not carefully. Unwise, not wise. So often wasting time, wasting resources, living in the moment of personal pleasure and not in the big picture, not with a big perspective. Remember what James says in chapter 4, verse 14. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish. Don't be ignorant. Don't be lacking wisdom and sound judgment here. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, what his desire is. The, The powers of evil in this present age 
that we read about in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. They have a firm grip on mankind that pulls our culture, that pulls humanity, mankind towards pleasure-seeking disobedience. And we follow like a fish caught with a hook in the mouth. But Christians are, again, called to be different. They are called to order their lives and priorities to God's glory. You have been called to be holy. And then he gives an example here in verse 18. Don't get drunk with wine. And in the Greek, don't get drunk means don't get drunk. It's really easy. It's clear for us. Don't get drunk. That's debauchery. It's senseless. It's reckless. It's the opposite of making the best use of your time. I just said, he, Paul's saying, I just said, make the best use of, a time, of your time. Capitalize. And being drunk is the opposite of this. It's careless. But be directed and filled with the Holy Spirit. Be controlled and complete in Him. This drunkenness is a, is a picture that he gives us of the unwise, the foolish, the folly of the old man, the old self, that the reborn and the new woman and man must leave behind. Drunkenness is characteristic of those who aren't redeemed, who have yet to be regenerated. And Paul is urging the church to be filled with the Spirit and to learn more and more from the wisdom that the Spirit of God provides. Here's a glimpse of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. Here's what it looks like to walk in holiness. Verse 19, addressing one another, not in silliness like a drunk man, not in stupid talk, not in foolish talk, not in immoral, sexually immoral talking and living, but you're addressing one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, <laughs> giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then a hinge verse for where we're going next week, submitting out of humility and unity, submitting to one another out of respect and reverence for Christ. Family, there is no other way Christians are to live. There is no exception here. We are to pursue holiness. We are to strive to be God-like. This is our calling. I ask that you take these things to heart. Fight the good fight of faith in this way. Don't look for a shortcut. There's no easy road. Even Jesus said, the road is narrow and difficult. Few are on that road, he said. I think part of our problem is we think that road is really wide. We don't realize just how narrow the road is that we're called to walk. So I believe it would be in our best interest to ask the Spirit of God to work in our heart. Because the last thing we need to do is to... <laughs> out of guilt or shame, just try harder. Because motive is important for the Christian. Ask the Spirit of God to develop in you holiness. Ask Him to create in you a desire to care about holiness. 
don't just hear this and like a January 1st hit the gym type of thing that lasts for two weeks. Think. Dwell. Meditate. Do the hard work of considering these truths. Pray over these things. Search the scriptures. Ask the Spirit to change you. And then, little by little, living this way in consistency, pursuing these things, praying these things, desiring these things, growing in a desire for these things, watch what the Spirit of God does in your life. You're called to be holy. You've been brought back from death. So live like you're alive. You've been brought out of darkness, so stop stumbling around. Open your eyes. Embrace what it's like to have light. And those who aren't Christians, those who will consider themselves unbelievers, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Savior, believe Jesus. Think on these things. Think on these things and ask for faith and ask for belief. Ask for the humility and grace that's needed to believe Jesus. Ask God to, to deliver you from your unbelief. Ask him to redeem you. Ask the Holy Spirit to save you. Do this and experience regeneration. Experience what it's like to be born again, made alive, made new. Do this and experience what it's like to be transferred from darkness to light. Call out to God for salvation. Call out to him for faith. Ask him for the needed grace to believe. And then you will experience what it's like to have a place in the kingdom of God because what Christ did for you, intercepting the wrath of God that you deserve, he takes it upon himself. You can be forgiven because of Christ. <laughs> That's the best news. May God grant mercy and grace to you today. Now, Christians, we now have the opportunity to remember the saving work of Jesus. And we can do this together by sharing communion this morning. And as we take this together, we are unifying ourselves around the finished work of Jesus, what he has done for us. So let's remember and worship Jesus in our hearts as we take the bread that's symbolic of his body, of his life that he lived for us. And let's remember and worship Jesus as we take that bread and dip it into the juice and, and the wine, uh, the, the juice and the wine illustrating his blood, the blood that was shed for us to experience forgiveness and life. Remember the work of Jesus this morning. God has been so faithful to provide for us a salvation that is ours. Christian, we were dead in our sins and we have been made alive through Jesus Christ. We have been forgiven through what this communion symbolizes. As we consider how great a salvation is ours in Christ, allow your heart to worship and experience thanksgiving and find your heart bursting out in song as you celebrate the faithfulness of God, the renewing work of the Holy Spirit through the activity of Christ for us. Think on these things as you come and share communion with us. There'll be a communion station here, here, and back here. And for anyone who wants to, Ryan and Rebecca, my friends, will be back over in this corner to pray for you over absolutely anything.
Think. Think on these things. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for doing all that you have done so that I can say what I have the privilege of saying every single Sunday. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for living the life that we can't live. Thank you for dying the death that we don't want to die. Thank you for beating death so we no longer have to fear it. Thank you for building a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Thank you for your promise that you will come back to us and take us to yourself, that where you are, we get to be too. Lord, for those who don't believe this, would you save them? Would you give them the faith needed to believe? They can't work it out themselves. You must save them. You must change them. God, do this. Let them find themselves in humility, reaching out to you in faith. Lord, for the Christians in this room, hearing this call to be holy, they can't do it by themselves. God, you must do this in them. You must do this with them. You lead, we will follow. As much as is dependent upon us, would we fight and fight hard for holiness? Help us pursue these things. Don't make us religious jerks. Keep us far from that. Don't make us Religious rebels either who don't care at all. Help us find through your spirit, we can't do this, but through your spirit, would you grant us the ability to kind of walk that narrow way that is holy yet gracious and loving and tender that's different but not condemning. A life that's full of grace and truth. A lot like you, Jesus. Help us in this way. I believe you will. Lord, as we embrace this, I believe you're going to change a lot of people. As we embrace this, I believe you're going to save a lot of people. God, create in us a desire to be like you, our loving, gracious, heavenly Father. Lord, add your special blessing to this time of communion, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. <laughs>